The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you're with us, and thank you so much for liking us on the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. Thank you for sending emails and for posting and for letting me know how it's going with you, and it's great to hear um, what's happening in your life and your recovery journey, and thank you so much um, also for uh, letting us know what these programs that we're bringing you are really touching your heart and mind and giving you uh, some good inspiration and good information for life. I love broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Um, it's just a real joy and a real privilege. And as you know, every week we bring you topics that are important to the recovery community, and we've got guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. And my guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for or teach uh, somehow recovering people, and lots of times um, all three. And so they're always bringing practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking and lots of inspiration. Always my guests are people that um, are inspiring in the way that they're living their lives and, and what they're doing. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. That you can, of course, listen live through your computer. You can listen through your smart device. You can listen live or you can listen um, on demand. We've got lots of great archives. If you go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, you'll find all kinds of uh, great programs there that you can listen to on demand. I want you to know that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place, that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of someone that's in recovery or someone that's got the disease of addiction, whether or not you or they are in a recovery process, that you're welcome here um, in at the spirit of recovery. You're welcome to participate. You're welcome to um, comment, to ask questions, to call in or email in if you have a question or uh, for our guest or a comment on our topic for the day. Also, you're certainly welcome if you're just curious about the process of recovery. You just kind of want to know what it's about. You're just interested in hearing more about it. You're also welcome to participate here at the Spirit of Recovery. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and an Addictions Counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And uh, over 33 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of the unity principles and the recovery principles that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper and richer ways. So again, I'm very delighted, uh, very grateful to have the opportunity to share uh, these guests with you, to share these ideas with you, and to hear what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. 
Today, our topic on Spirit of Recovery is getting on track with life. And you know that that's an important thing is getting on track with life when addiction derails it. Um, and uh, it can either be when a person may be in active addiction or maybe a family member that's or friend that's involved with someone in active addiction. Um, life can get off track. And um, one of the tools that can help with that is the process of intervention. Once a person is in recovery, um, a person that may have the primary disease of a substance or a process addiction or, again, a family member um, who has been caught up with enabling and so forth can be in their own uh, process of recovery. What can be important there, another tool we can use is called recovery coaching. This is a, a relatively new idea and, and a new thing that's happening um, in the recovery process. And so my guest today is Tommy Blass, and he's going to be talking uh, to us about both of those um, concepts about how different ways that people can get on track with life, but the intervention when that's relevant, and also the concept of recovery coaching and relapse prevention. Tommy is a sober coaching specialist and an interventionist, and he's a recovery and life coach. And uh, you can find out more about Tommy's work at northernbridgescoaching.com, and that's spelled just the way it sounds, northernbridgescoaching.com. And Tommy was born and raised on the East Coast, and in uh, 2008, he studied at the Hazelden School of Addiction Studies and got a master's degree there in addiction studies. And while there, he focused on intervention and on helping families in crisis. And prior to that time, um, for 23 years, Tommy owned uh, and operated a restoration company. Tommy also is a person who's in long-term recovery and uh, since 1984, and he has worked with and helped countless individuals and their families as they've tried to get their lives back on track. And now, uh, in recent years, he's gotten uh, additional training and has lots of interest again in the recovery coaching and also uh, has a, a meditation practice and certainly has a spiritual life that is very important to him. And I know, uh, too, what you'll find out about Tommy today is that he really has a big big heart. So, Tommy, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Hey, Anna, how are you? <laughs> Good. Glad you're here. That was here. a great introduction. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> who, who, who was I talking about, huh? <laughs> Yeah, oh my lord. Thank you. Was that Thank really you? you? That Was that really you? It's true. It's true. Yes, and we were Yeah, no, and I, I think about it. Yeah, I've actually been the guy that have experienced that whole experience. So, yeah, thank you. Yes, indeed. Yes, I know you. I've been been in school with you. So, uh Tommy, tell us a little bit about um the whole concept of helping people get on track with life. Uh that's something you've done for yourself. Um, I'm sure with a lot of help, as we all have to have. And also now you've really, I know for years and years, you've dedicated yourself to that. So just in general, what's that What's that about? What does it matter to get on track with life? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, getting on track with life on some level, um, <clears throat> you know, when people get into early recovery, I mean, the goal really is to sort of, you know, sort of uh, stabilize their lives so they can sort of to make, some sort of uh, peace with the idea that something greater than themselves has caused them a level of suffering that um, they never thought would happen. So, you know, that early part of the recovery process is really rooted in this idea of just stabilizing one's life. Um, But as you evolve in recovery, at every stage of recovery, there's new opportunity to, to to gain greater insight and to get your life on track. You know, some people go back to school. Some people, there's lots of things that people do. But for me, over the years, it's always to get back on track is always to get current and more authentic with myself. Who am I really? You know, it's one thing to uh, label myself as this or that or this or that. But truthfully, in my in in my experience, <clears throat> the more I remove the labels, the clearer I become about who I am. So to me, that's an important factor about getting in track with life. It's really being able to, on a deep spiritual, fundamental whatever level you want to define it on, getting to know who I am has been the most important thing because that's the person I bring to the world. That's the person who, when you meet me, you get to see. Who is this person? And um, so that, to me, has been the most important ingredient as far as my recovery and also as far as getting back on track is concerned. That's great. Um, 
tell us a little bit about some of the the layers. It's almost like when you, when you're saying that, and and this may not be your image. I don't know. You can tell us your image. But when you're talking about getting uh, into that real person, into that authenticity. What are some of the, the layers that you've shed maybe or some of the labels that you've set aside and how have you uh, gotten more you, more authentic authentic over the I'll, years? I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> about uh, eight or nine years ago, I went through kind of a, a, a pretty difficult breakup in a relationship with someone. And um, I joined an organization of men that taught me about becoming, showing up differently and being more authentic, becoming more emotionally available on a, on a deeper level. You know, I think that as a man in the world, no matter what, where you are, whether you're, you know, whether you're in recovery or not, there's this, it's in the way that we show up, right? So I had to learn how to strip away some of the old ideas, some of the sort of the rigid ideas that I had about what a man looks like in the world and start opening my heart up to the idea that men can show up differently, more authentic. They can learn to listen. They can learn to be more compassionate. They can learn to have a deep spiritual life. They can, there's lots of things that, that, um, you know, that were available to me, but I didn't see the practical value of it because there was still this part of me that held on to this idea that I needed to find myself as a man this way. So that organization that I joined, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention that the organization, um, it's the man, it's the mankind project. Mm Mm-hmm. The Mankind Project was a project that I, when I got introduced to, I got introduced to this group of men who sort of took me under their, took me under their, you know, they sort of like wrapped their arms around me and supported me through this grieving process. But also it introduced me to this idea that it was okay to grieve. It was okay to feel these feelings that I had a difficult time even tapping into. So that was, that was the beginning for me. Um... You know, I've always had a meditation practice, and um, once I learned to embrace my emotional life on a deeper level, that also helped my meditation practice on a deeper level. And that also helped create a bridge between uh, the way I saw the world emotionally and all the way that I saw the world spiritually. So there's been interesting transitions through my recovery that I've found these interesting tools um, to help, I don't know, just make me more authentic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did, well, that, that, did, that, did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it did. And I love what you said about um, the idea that as emotionally you've become more open, that that's really built a bridge into your spiritual self. That certainly is my experience. Um, and yet, sort of as it happens a lot of times uh, in People seem to feel, and I certainly did, I've had my own struggles with this, seem to feel that there's some kind of a conflict between the emotional life and the spiritual life, which isn't true. It's, it's, it's integrated. How have you done that, or how do you see that? Well, you know, it's interesting to me, since I've been able to build that bridge, you know, I've had conflict because I had a history of growing up in a traditional religious background. And I had a lot of resentment and anger towards that particular background. I blamed that background for many, many years. If I didn't go to the school or I didn't have that religious background, you know, I'd be more open. And I mean, I used that as, as an excuse. But once I started to develop this spiritual life, it's not like um, I agreed to go back to that faith, but I became more open to the idea that everyone can practice a faith and, that, and I also learned that in the program of recovery that I belong to, too. There's a step in that program of recovery which tells me I can, get a, I can make a decision about how I want to choose to believe in something greater than myself, which was really profound for me. There's a page in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Is that all right if I mention that organization? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, there's a page in the big book where Eddie Thatcher is a friend of Bill Wilson, and Bill is a lot like me. Like, I, I never met a religion I didn't hate. <laughs> and so Ebby says to Bill and, and, and I just, I'm just imagining this conversation Ebby says to Bill Bill, you can make a choice about what you want to believe in and, and, and it, almost, it, it, it almost took this steam out of Bill's you know, like I like being angry at the religion and it just took the steam out of it and what he said to Bill in, in, in not so many words was Bill, you can really make a choice about how you want to see the world spiritually and that's, to me, is profound in nature. So that's what I've learned in my life, is I can make a choice. I don't have to hate 
other people's faith or religion or belief. I can just have my own and, and be cool with that. I mean, that's sort of, is that, is that sort of where, you, you know, yeah. I mean, to me, that's, that's been my, that's been my journey is becoming more open-minded to the idea that everyone has a choice about the way they want to believe. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's cool. And so where has your spiritual journey taken you? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I could say I'm a recovering Catholic, and it's actually lately I've been, I've been actually going back to Catholic Church, not so much that I want to rejoin the faith, but I love going to places of faith where I can just be present and be in a spiritual place. You know, I've, over the last, I don't know how many years, I've, lend, I've leaned towards Buddhism because Buddhism for me feels very um, non-religious. It feels to me inclusive. I like a lot of the concepts, and I like a lot of the way it shows up. And, and it feels to me, you know, for, for folks who want to have a spiritual life but have had a lot of resistance towards it, Buddhism has in some, some, some ways has softened the edges around the rock for me so that I can be more open, not so much to join other faiths, but to be open to the spiritual practices of them, right? To, to sort of take the beauty out from those spiritual practices and incorporate them in my life, right? So mm-hmm. I don't have to get caught up in the fundamentalism part of it. I can stay. I love, I love the teachings of Christ. I love the teachings of Buddha. I love some of the teachings of Muhammad and all those great spiritual teachers. So why not just take from those things? They're beautiful. I mean, why not, right? Right. Yeah. So it's like sounds like, um, as you said, you've it, practicing uh, Buddhism has made made a lot of spaciousness in your spiritual life. It has. It has. And also being a part of a program of recovery as well, because when they introduce the idea. There's a chapter in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous called We Agnostics. And in that chapter, it just suggests that you stay open to the idea that there is a, a possible spiritual world. And I think that underneath it all, my whole life, I remember as a child that when I, when I stopped believing, was that this idea when I started to feel felt wounded by the world that I lived in. And it, and it couldn't be possible that a spiritual world could exist. And as I've evolved as a man, as a human being in my recovery and in my journey, I've realized that I can use those wounds aren't necessarily, those wounds reminding me of the, of the past, but they don't have to define my future around my spiritual life. And that's been cathartic as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's, you've nailed it for what happens to a lot of people is when, when we experience the difficulties and the bumps and bruises in life, we wonder... How could there be anything good here? But recovery is about re- refinding that, I think, in a powerful way. Yeah, recovery is recovering lost self. I mean, you know, every right. time we're wounded, there's a part of us that gets lost. And, and so, you know, it's like if we think about of ourselves as energy. Uh, mm-hmm. When we get wounded, that some of that energy just gets thrown out into the universe. And it's hard to find where it goes, but it goes. Hold on to that thought. That's p- wonderful. It's time for our first break. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're going to find out where that lost, where the lost energy went when we come back. Stay with us. All right. See you in a bit. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to tens of thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you have been served by this programming, we invite you to support it by visiting www.unity.fm and clicking on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. What if you could transform your finances and energy level? Go from lack to lots. From low energy to high energy. What if it only took five minutes every day? Would you do it? Shift your patterns by listening to Jane's daily inspiring and life-changing messages. Join her global community online at www.ultimateprosperityplanners.com Prosperity Jane, your personal prosperity cheerleader.
Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm very glad that you're uh, joining us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is getting on track with life, and my guest is Tommy Blass. Tommy is a a sober coach and recovery coach and an intervention specialist, and uh, he's sharing with us about getting on track with life and about finding our authentic self, Um, and we'll be hearing some more about recovery coaching and relapse prevention programs and uh, interventions. Before Tommy and I get back to our conversation, I invite you to Join me for the Serenity Minute for a moment to relax, to open up, to let go, and to trust the presence of your higher power in your life. So I invite you to relax, to take a breath, to feel all the muscles of your body relax, allow your mind to open, allow your heart to open, and share with me this constructive idea. I trust my higher power to love and support my true self. I trust my higher power to love and support my true self. And we take just a moment now in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the, re- the Serenity Minute. Hope that it was a moment for you to relax, to take just a minute to have a time out and feel that presence that is your higher power. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Tommy Blass, and we're talking about getting on track with life. And uh, right before the break, Tommy, you were telling us um, how it is that we were talking about the uh, wounds and spirituality, and you were talking about um, the idea that when we do experience uh, feeling hurt and that type of thing, that it's almost like some part of us flies off, and uh, maybe spirituality is about somehow gathering that back in so we can be ourselves. Tell us more about what that. I like that image. Well, you know, I, I think a, <clears throat> a big part of what... Um, people suffer from is these, these, these traumas, you know, it's like little explosions, sometimes big explosions, some, you know, monumental explosions where we're wounded by, by the, by the world outside of us. And, um, it's hard to make sense of that sometimes. And so religion for many, many years tried to make sense of it on some level symbolically. But I think the true essence of spirituality is really tapping into this great spirit within us that can create some level of peace, understanding, and give us the courage to reach out to those parts of us that we gave away to the universe. It's not that it's not it's not it's not personal. It's not. It's just the way it is. So the more we deepen our spiritual life, um, we can rekindle. We we can recover those lost pieces and then make sense of them. And um, and I think that's profound in nature. 
Um, if my my goal in my entire life is to recover those low spaces and to make peace with them, and and to love and embrace them, uh, like lost brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. That's sort of my thought about it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I know, you know, too, that as you do this work with yourself, that, too, you're very generous in sharing this with other people. I know just personally in in your personal um, relationships and circles of recovery and also as a professional. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you um, do that. I know that, again, you're very active in recovery coaching and relapse prevention Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So how do you work with people to recover Well, you know, I think the most important thing is is to have the agreement, to establish an agreement that um, there is a lost self. You know, I mean, part of all the defense mechanisms, all the way we protect ourselves, is another way of saying that I'm not, I can't go there. So when you can help someone make an agreement with themselves to 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 rekindle, recover rediscover those lost parts in them, if you can help them make that agreement with themselves, it's profound in nature because what they're starting to do then is begin, I want to be invested in the process of being a whole person in my life. Fritz Perls, uh, one of my favorite all-time existential psychologists, talks about gestalt, which is the circle, right? And as a gestalt therapist, gestalt therapists try to help people um, rekindle, recapture uh, the circle you know, re, re, uh, redefine what the circle looks like. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we do. That's what I do as a recovery coach. I take people on a journey. I'm like a Sherpa. <laughs> I love that <laughs> word, Sherpa. love the way it rolls off my tongue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sherpas, what Sherpas do is they take people up, you know, uh, up the mountainsides of, you know, the Himalayas, and they guide them and they direct them. And so that's sort of what I do. I, I think that my goal as a recovery person, recovery coach, is to tap into... Um, help someone tap into the knowledge that they already know, right? It's not about me telling them what to do. It's tapping into the knowledge that they already know and getting them to be more, uh, to be more responsible for that knowledge, to take ownership for that knowledge. And when someone starts to do that, that's when the transformation begins to happen. Mm-hmm. How is, you know, obviously in recovery uh, 12-step programs, we know people have sponsors, um, we mm-hmm. know people go to therapy. How is being, mm-hmm. how is the recovery coaching different from sponsorship like in a 12-step program, and how is it different from going to a therapist? Well, that's a good question, um, and I love, I love when people have that argument. Um, traditionally, uh, a sponsor was responsible for taking someone through the 12 steps of uh, whatever program they were in. Um, and in a lot of ways, they're sort of like a godparent or a trusted servant, so to speak. My goal when, I take, when I've taken people through the 12 steps, and I've done that many, many times, is to guide them through the steps, right? Not to tell them about how to live their life. I mean, there is some level of coaching going on there, but the truth is um, what my goal is when I take someone through the 12 steps is to, to just always bring them back to helping them understand what is it this step means to you. And in some ways, that has a coaching element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> a coach is really someone who helps someone reintegrate the parts of them. So, for example, if I was a pitching coach and you caved to me and you said, Tommy, um, I can't seem to get my curveball over the plate, what I would do is I would break it down with you slide by slide. I'd have you look at how you stand at the mound, how you hold the ball, and I would get you to sort of reframe the idea that it's not that you can't throw a curveball, is that you've become afraid of the idea that you're not capable of it. So how do you move? That's what a, co- a good coach does. It helps someone move away from the fear and get back into the idea that it's possible that you can get that curveball over the plate. Now, as far as a therapist is concerned, a good therapist really, in my opinion, is someone who witnesses the suffering of another human being, right, and helps them on some level create some insight into healing. A little bit different than coaching. Coaching is not about taking people through a therapeutic journey, which, you know, there's a lot of argument about that lately, but my feeling about it is there's a difference between an emotional process, right, and reframing a psychological process, right? I mean, in, 
And the interesting thing about it, Anna, is that sometimes there are good coaches that are good therapists and good therapists that are good coaches, and sometimes those two things get sort of cross-pollinized. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I believe that I do both. I believe I do both pretty well. I'm not saying I'm the best, but I think I have a pretty good insight. I know when someone is blocked from throwing the curveball, but I also know that when someone's blocked in being open to the idea of, of finding a way to reintegrate into their life. I don't know that that, that was helpful at all. Yeah, I think it is. It's like maybe uh, the the concept of uh, therapy may be really inviting people to delve more into past or causes and so forth, whereas coaching is more about changing behavior in the current time, which obviously are related, but, but those can be different. Uh, so I have, a good, I have a great definition here by a woman named Paula Hemming. Uh, coaching is about recognizing your present and designing your future. It's not about healing anything. It's focused on deepening your knowledge of values, goals, strengths, and purpose and creating action and accountability that makes <clears throat> all of this come to life for you. Coaching is not a crisis activity, but rather a discovery planning process along with follow-up, the clients achieve results, that they have longed for in their life. So with a, in a mouthful, that's, that's Paula Hemming's idea of what a good coach is. But mm-hmm. when I read that definition, I also hear that all she's doing is taking one word out and putting another word in. I mm-hmm. think that a good coach can be therapeutic and a good therapist can be a good coach. Really, right. you know, I don't, yeah. I mean, to me, but I think a sponsor is different because there's a lot of unskilled prof- people that are sponsors that try to be professionals and they do more damage than good. That's just been my experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So could you, of course, while maintaining your clients, of course, confidentiality, absolutely, give us a compo- sort of a composite picture of like a, what might be an example of uh, how you would work with a client um, on a res recovery coach, like what might be an issue that somebody would bring that they wanted to develop themselves in, and how would you work with them? Well, that's interesting. Um, I have a men's group, a men's relapse prevention group, on, uh, on my uh, uh, that I run out of my house on Mondays and Wednesdays. And last night we did a really interesting technique, and it is kind of therapeutic because it has its roots in therapy and you know and and psychodrama and gestalt. And psychodrama, I don't know if you're familiar with psychodrama, it was created by a guy mm-hmm. named Joseph Marino many mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And what it did is it allowed a person, with the help of a group, ref- uh, uh, reframe um, sort of a, a life experience. So how was that? So what I did last night is I set it up with one of the young men in my group to have a conversation with a father figure that he never met. He never met his dad. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I asked everyone in the group to play certain roles, and then we did, we did this whole reframing of this conversation. So I coached each individual on some level. I brought the conversation back. So, for example, um, this young man had a conversation with his dad, right? And I said to him, okay, so then, um, if, you know, I mean, he would say one thing, and I would say to him, well, maybe you might want to consider this. So there's the coaching therapy, therapeutic piece, this, um, did that answer your question? Sure. Yeah. So it's like um, helping people to see themselves differently, maybe in the present. Re- and also to change the language. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right, to reframe the language. So you can say, you can say something to somebody, and you could say, Is, am I being effective in the way I'm communicating to this person? Or you can reframe it and say, if I, if I make an I statement, Right. If I have the conversation from the perspective of what it means for me, how it's coming up for me, then that person gets to see that this is not so much about them, but it's about you. And it makes, you, it makes your, your connection with them more credible. Mm-hmm. So that's what a good coach does. A good coach is always putting in a person in a position to have a good conversation with themselves, meaning reframing the conversation with themselves. Therefore, they're able to reframe the conversation with the world. That's right. what I believe a good coach does. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's what we did last night. Uh huh. That makes sense. And how do people benefit from it? Like, what's the in in general? Um, what happens to them in the world when they do reframe those conversations with themselves and others? Well, they start to trust themselves more. 
in, in, you know, up until that point, a lot of these young men that I work with, they don't trust themselves. They're not trust. They don't trust that they're capable of having a conversation without it becoming argumentative or that they shut down. I'm, I'm what I'm what I'm educating them about is to have a conversation, right? That's rooted in in the not. It's kind of like uh, Marshall uh, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. It's like how can you have a nonviolent communication with someone, right? and be present in your life and say what you need to say and know that it's coming from a good place and not a place of a threat or not of a place that you're wrong, but a place of, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel about this situation. Dad, I'm sorry you weren't in my life. I'm sorry you're missing out on all those experiences rather than saying, I can't believe you, you know, you, you know, pointing the finger, taking the finger and, and making, you know, rather than pointing the finger, taking both hands and putting them together and sort of having grace around the conversation rather than, than uh, pushing towards some sort of a violent resolution. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, makes sense. And it's like back to the idea of gathering yourself. When you're mm-hmm. owning that, then you've got yourself gathered in there. Yeah, that's great. I love it. So, yeah, that's some, that's some of the ways that I do coaching. Coaching is always about reframing um, negative thoughts and turning them into, you know, um, you know, turning the compost into fertile earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, um, you do relapse prevention, as you said, and you, I know that meditation is a part of that. Why do you um, mm-hmm. have meditation as a part of the relapse prevention program? Well, you know, it's interesting. Over the last bunch of years, um, there's been lots and lots of uh, folks that have been sort of, you know, in, you know um, introducing meditation as a form of, getting people grounded and centered. Um, you know, one of my favorite is this, this gentleman, uh, Jack Cornfield. He's part of that whole uh, Vipassana movement in the United States. Uh, Jack Cornfield and um, Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and, and, and those folks uh, mm-hmm. from the uh, Insight Meditation Society out there in uh, Bar, Massachusetts and now out in uh, Spirit Rock in California. And mm-hmm. so... <clears throat> You know, when I started meditating, right, one of the reasons I meditated is because I had, I, had, I had big issues with anger. <laughs> and I thought that somehow if I started to meditate, my anger would go away. Mm. But what, what the meditation does is it allows me to be present with my anger, just like it makes, allows me to be present with my feelings. So when I teach meditations to these young men, I'm not teaching them to push away anger or to push away grief or sadness. I'm asking them for the next 10 or 15 minutes to be present with it, right? Rather than making it an enemy, understanding the nature of it, getting to the core of it, be present with it. Even if it's difficult, don't run from it. Just be present with it. So it allows, when I introduce this, you know, the mindfulness meditation or stress reduction meditation, whatever you want to call it, it allows people for the first 10 or 15 minutes coming into the group to leave, leave whatever they, whatever what is happening out there for them to become present and for them to, to, be, to bring as much of their authentic self to the group as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Is it a pretty so it's a new profound ex- invitation? I'm sorry, please. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No. So that's great. Yeah, big invitation to them. And I would imagine, uh, again, this may be a stereotype, but I imagine for them this, that was probably a pretty new experience to A, B, have it be okay that they have anger and that, I mean, obviously, they're not acting out on it, but and just to have that time in quiet, is it pretty amazingly new for them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I mean, and I'm, I don't have a judgment about the way it's supposed to look, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not, you know, this is not a, you know, meditation beauty pageant. You know, I just want them to just be quiet for 10 minutes. Right. That's great. Hold on to that. It's time for a break. Listeners, stay with us and we'll be back with Getting on Track with Life and my guest, interventionist and recovery coach, Tommy Blass. We'll be right back. What if you could transform your finances and energy level? Go from lack to loss, from low energy to high energy. What if it only took five minutes every day? Would you do it? Shift your patterns by listening to Jane's daily inspiring and life-changing messages. 
Join her global community online at www.ultimateprosperityplanners.com. Prosperity Jane, your personal prosperity cheerleader. You've seen reality TV. Well, now get ready for reality radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome challenges. Listen in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says we must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels, live Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. And now, here's Anna. Here we go. Listeners, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, we're, our topic is getting on track with life, and my guest is recovery coach and interventionist Tommy Glass. And so, um, Tommy, before the break, we were just talking a little bit about um, uh, the practice of meditation and uh, mm-hmm. relapse prevention. Mm-hmm. And um, I um, also wanted to, uh, and you were talking about how important it is to have that meditation practice. Um, so, mm-hmm. any more uh, thoughts about that? About well, you know, <clears throat> it's interesting. The way the world of recovery is moving, it's, there's, there's going to be a big dividing line. What's there? There's always been a dividing line. You know, with the new DSM-5, um, they're looking at addiction through the eyes of neuro- neurological eyes, like this is a neurological disorder. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spin this to be negative, but there's a part of me that has a deep concern in terms of the pharmacological influence on the world of recovery. And I, I struggle with that a little bit. Um, I'm not saying that some pharmacological interventions are not necessary. I mean, there's some people who suffer from some really deep, 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 uh, painful psychological disorders, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. There's some real clear, painful ways. But I think that there's a lot of these psychological disorders that get over-medicated that if we could teach people how to become more mindful and teach them mindfulness training processes, um, I think we would probably create a more um, a more loving, more compassionate world. And but so there's the conflict. So my goal, you know, <clears throat> is to do the work that I love. Um, you know, I'm I'm not always the most politically correct person on the planet. You know, some people accuse me of being a bit of an anarchist, but my feeling about it is is that I believe that if we teach people to become more mindful of their lives, you know, uh, that's a wonderful thing. John Kabat-Zinn, who's a very interesting man, started at Mass Journal many years ago, and he started dealing with people with chronic physical disorders, and he started teaching people how to become more mindful of those things. And there's a lot of documented proof that that stuff works. Mm -hmm. But it's not immediate gratification. So, you know, we live in a society that wants immediate gratification, but I think if we could slow it down, slow the breath down, slow our minds down and become more mindful, I think we could handle a lot of these disorders without all that other stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I'm incorporating it in the work that I do, because I want to take that risk. I want to be one of those people, like I'm not the only person, other people that see the value of meditation versus medication. So mm-hmm. That's just my thought. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for uh, sharing that for sure. It's important. 
important point. Mm-hmm. Tell us about intervention. You're also an intervention specialist, and mm-hmm. I know you've done that for a long time and, and worked with that mm-hmm. in different ways. So what is mm-hmm. intervention, and um, how does it work? Well, um, uh, when I first got um, when I got sober back back in the 1800s, no, I'm only kidding. When I got sober <laughs> 30 years ago, I was fortunate enough to be part of a group of men that did a lot of 12-step work. So I learned about intervention from the from from the perspective of the 12-step, um, you know, uh, 30 years ago. And over the last 30 years, I've done I've been a part of many, 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 many 12-step calls. Mm-hmm. Out of the 12-step call came the intervention. Uh, the Johnson model. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnson is. A, I think he's. Johnson came out of Minnesota. The Johnson model, and that was to be to 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 work with the family and with the, the identified patient. So, what an intervention really is? It's it's a gathering of a family, and it's supporting the family to do something that they have a difficult time doing, which is moving towards supporting the identified patient uh, towards uh, getting the help that they need. Over the years, um, you know, my idea about intervention has changed a lot. And there's many models out there. There are as many as there are interventions. I'm sure there are as many models. So I don't want to sort of uh, be arrogant enough to think that I'm the only person with this thought. I'm sure there are other people. But my thought is is that as much as I want to support the identified patient, because they seem that seems to be the person that everybody's focusing their energy on, what I like to do is refocus the energy onto the family. I'm more interested in the family than I am the identified patient because if the family doesn't get healthy or they don't see the value of getting healthy, then it doesn't matter what the identified patient does because what I've learned over the last bunch of years is that without a strong support system, you know, they talk about that in the six dimensions, mm-hmm. you know, a strong support system is a really an essential ingredient in terms of long-term recovery no guarantee, but the bottom line is when there's healthy people in within within the framework of that community um, and everyone's taking care of themselves and doing what they need to do, whether that person comes back or not, at least that that ecosystem is able to get healthy, and I think that's the important thing. So that's the direction that I move in when I'm doing intervention, and that's a hard thing because a lot of families love the idea of blaming the identified patient. But once the family begins to buy into the idea that taking care of themselves is in their best interest, that's when things begin to shift. So that's my thought about that. Because often what you hear in people in recovery is when they get sober, people in their family resent them, they're angry, they're, you know, all of that stuff because all of a sudden roles change. So what I try to do in the intervention is try to get people to take ownership, do some healing, get refocused, so when that person comes out, it becomes more about we're a recovering family rather than just a recovering person. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought about that. That's great. And that's what I thought it would, what I do with intervention. What do you do to educate a family, or like how would it work? Like, does a family call you, or how? Mm-hmm. Kind of what's mm-hmm. the process? So they call you and say, "Get this guy into treatment, or this girl, or this woman." Oh, well, we have a problem. You know, it's like uh-huh. you know, <laughs> it's like. There's, you know, there's a, there's a problem, and the problem, you know, they, they talk about what this person is doing and what this person is doing and what this person is doing. And, 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 and uh, stories can be different, mm-hmm. but in the long run, a lot of the stories are the same, which is there's a problem in the family. And, you know, <clears throat> so what I try to do is, you know, you're all, there's always going to be one person or two people in the family that sort of dominate the conversation. And so what I try to do when I'm in those kinds of situations is ask those people in a very polite, respectful, loving way, if it's possible, to let those other people talk. Because the truth is, the quieter people are, there's a good chance the more wounded they are. And when I see a wounded person, unless that person buys into the whole idea that an intervention is possible, it's going to blow up. And normally when interventions blow up, it's not necessarily the, the identified patient. It's the family that can't hold a container. Because that's, that's, the, that's the main ingredient. So I try to educate people from the very beginning. I ask them right off the top, are, you know, are you in a problem with recovery? Have you done a therapy? Have you done this before? I try to get as much information about what their, respect, what their relationship is to themselves and the family, you know, the whole thing, 
so that I know when I'm walking in there, I'm not just trying to drag somebody out of the house to bring them to treatment because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you're in an intervention, do you have the, the family has to, to prepare beforehand and you've met with them beforehand uh-huh. and then they talk to the person or right. give us an idea and uh, how, how it works. Well, normally, you know, there's, you know, traditionally we have family meeting. We meet with the family and we have a conversation. I get the, I get the lowdown. I get the details. And then I sort of, and I don't sort of, I, I, I guide them and give them direction about what I want them to do. You know, traditionally there's a lot of letter writing that goes on. We have people write letters. And there's a reason for that, and I see the value of that. If I start to have a conversation with you off the top of my head, right, um, and, I, and I start saying things to you um, off the top of my head, the chances of my overreacting emotionally are pretty great. If I am reading from something, if I have something that I'm holding on to, and I'm reading my thoughts and ideas, it kind of, in some ways, and you can see it's kind of it's an interesting process, it stabilizes the it stabilizes the conversation. I'm not saying that sometimes that doesn't blow up, but when you have someone read a letter, right? When you see someone has made the effort to write a letter, that's a pretty profound thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the ways that I do it. There's many different ways, but that's for me that's been the most effective way. I get the family to, to all agree to keep their their resentments and their and their concerns and their doubts. And, I, and I, I focus their energy on what they want for this individual, what they want for themselves, and what they see that would happen in the future if this person was to get better. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so it really is about inviting people to really back, as we were talking earlier today, back into, into self, into how, how sort of am I affected, how am I coming to this and getting out of that finger-pointing thing and... and mm-hmm. uh, kind of experiencing some authenticity, even in the midst of a really probably very hot-tempered situation in, in many ways. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. That's that, I mean, an interventionist is really, you know, he's just a, an interventionist worth his weight and goal, knows how to um, <clears throat> orchestrate the energy in a way that allows things to be effective, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee in an intervention. Sometimes you can't get that person the treatment but what you can get is the family to make set a boundary, which is we're not going to let this person live in the house any longer. We're not going to do this any longer. There has to be a way. There has to be a way for the family to buy into the whole idea that this is in their best interest. If not, then, you know, it's just a waste of time and energy. It's just, it's just, it's an exercise that, uh, in my opinion, is not worth even doing unless the family is really worth doing it. And, and that, and, and that happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, the intervention process, there's no process, coaching, intervention, counseling, that's a perfect process. There is none. And, and really what it boils down to in the long run, um, if someone's not ready, they're not ready, no matter what we do. And, and that's a fact. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, so it really takes it out of the realm of, of coming to some kind of a professional and saying, fix me. That's not possible, mm-hmm. huh? Not how it works? Well, it'd be nice. I mean, there are people out there that like to believe that they can fix people, but I'm not one of them. Uh-huh. Because the idea of me fixing you, um, it, it, what it does is it reduces you to, to an object of my, my control. And anybody worth their weight in gold that wants that kind of power, to me, is a bit of a scary person. I don't want the power of fixing you. But I would love, I would love for you to buy into the idea that healing and recovering that lost part of yourself is in your best interest. That would be a beautiful thing. Right. Uh, we don't have too much time here, but I'm going to ask you a big question. Um, regarding that, in a sense then, uh, do you, do you <laughs> ever feel, feel like there is a failure? In a way, I don't know. Could, you can't really fail as a professional as long as you're bringing that uh, hope and some skill to the table. What do you think? I don't think it's about failure. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it'd be easy. I mean, it depends on your own personal work too, Anna. Uh-huh. If I walk into a situation with the idea of winning and losing, then I can understand that, that you would see that if you didn't win, um, that you would be a failure. I don't see, I think that what I bring or a good interventionist brings or a good recovery coach brings is a desire to be of service, to do the best that they can 
but also honor that the people that they're working with have to be just as invested. Because if they're not, then it's not about me. It's about, you know, I mean, I can only do what I can do, just like you. Right. right? And so, no, I don't believe in failure. I believe, you know, I, I can be disappointed that it didn't work out in the way that I wanted it to. But then I got to check my motives and my ego, right? Why was I so right. invested in this process? Right. Our time is up. It, it goes so fast. Um, Tommy, thanks so much for being my guest today. You've just shared uh, so much uh, from the depths of your being and so much of your generosity for the work that you do with people. Um, my guest is Tommy Blass. You can find out more about him at northernbridgescoaching.com. And uh, he's been sharing with us about getting on track with life. Thanks so much for being with us today, Tommy. And all of, all of you listening, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Spirituality into your own hands? Bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path? Do you cross the boundary between religion and science? Or between religions themselves? Do you like a dose of humor with your truth seeking? If you answered yes, you're what we call a holy rascal. Join Rabbi Rami Shapiro for How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Rev. Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.